Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning, everybody. What a great, great Sunday. Not only do we have baptism, but today, or actually it's tomorrow, is Pastor Dave's one-year anniversary here. (laughs) So um, about a year and a half ago, we were kind of in a rough spot here. uh, here. And so uh, we went through a a process of finding and searching for our next uh, senior pastor and God brought us Pastor Dave and uh, we are so happy and excited um, to have you and your family here and it's been a great year. Um, I love, love, love working with you. Um, He's probably one of the hardest working people that I've ever seen and I'm not just saying that. He, I mean, the hours that he spends on just studying God's word, with meeting with people, with loving on people, with shepherding this body, shepherding the staff. I mean, he is just such, such a blessing. So thank you so much, Pastor Dave. We, we have some cards that if, if uh, there's actually some blank cards, I, I think still out there, if you'd like to write him a card and put it in the basket, just go to the Welcome Center. There's also a picture of Pastor Dave that you could also sign. It's kind of a funny picture. You check that out. Um, but anyway, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get going. Father God, thank you so much for, for our pastor, and uh, thank you, God, for, for bringing him here to us. And uh, he is just, um, a, a, just a perfect fit uh, for this church, and we, we know that you uh, led him here and that you worked all things to to bring him here, and so we just we just thank you for that. And um, God, as he now preaches your word, um, I pray, God, that you would just help us all to, to listen to what you have to say today. And uh, God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I got to tell you, honestly, from the bottom of our hearts, thanks for letting us um, be here. The Lord worked it all out to where we ended up here in Albuquerque, and um, you know, prior to a year ago, I really didn't even know where Albuquerque was, and then the Lord led us here, and I got to tell you, with the things that we've seen the Lord do and how we've seen Jesus work, he has just brought us um, such a great church body, he has brought us such a great team, so between elders and deacons and staff and people that are running everything that's happening right now, and then just this church body as a whole, feels like it's become our family pretty quick. Um, So it's been really exciting for us to be here. I honestly can't believe a year has already gone by. It doesn't feel like we have been um, in Albuquerque for a year. So we're thrilled to be here. That being said, we got a lot of ground to cover in Revelation chapter 17. We're covering the whole chapter this morning because there was really no way to break this down. So if you'd go to Revelation chapter 17, we have verses 1 through 18 this morning. And just so you know what kind of ride you're in store for this morning, look at the title of the sermon, The Death and Doom of the Prostitute and Her People. Doesn't that sound like fun? So that's where we're at this morning. Now, personally, I seem to be cursed when it comes to technology issues. 
I am preaching from a laptop right now, which is dangerous. Because I have issues with laptops, with iPads, with iPhones, with regular, whatever it is that I have. I seem to get that dreaded system crash, like at the worst time possible. Any of y'all ever experienced a system crash where all of a sudden everything freezes? Doesn't matter what you do, the buttons won't work, the mouse won't work. You, you do what I do, if you're really technologically advanced, you turn it off. And then you turn it back on again and you just pray for the best. To which sometimes you can't even turn it off. Well, in all seriousness, the world is going to experience the ultimate system crash. God is going to bring down all of those that have ever rejected Jesus, the one that has brought us all of our hope, the one that was here before the foundation of the world, the one that has existed in eternity past, the one that exists now, and the one that will exist in eternity future. Those that have rejected him are going to face a systems crash. All power is going to be shut off, and that's what we're looking at in Revelation chapter 17. Now, just for the sake of doing good Bible study, just so we all understand how the book of Revelation is put together, Revelation 17 and Revelation 18 are what we call parenthetical passages. If you'll remember, we talked about this earlier, but a parenthesis just means a break in the action. So nothing is being advanced chronologically in Revelation 17 and 18. In fact, what Jesus is going to have John do is stop and hone in specifically on the Antichrist, who is called the Beast, and his kingdom. Remember, the last three bowl judgments of the seven bowl judgments are poured out upon the Antichrist. They're poured out upon Babylon, which is his world system, and all those that have ever set themselves up with the Antichrist uh, and Babylon. So we're going to do a little things a little different this morning. Normally at this point, we would read the whole passage and I'd have you stand. You actually don't have to stand this morning. So you get to stay in your seats. We're actually just going to break this down little by little because the passage is long and there's a lot in it that we could get lost in. So I'm going to do something a little different. We're going to go backwards. I'm actually going to start with what John's big idea is this morning and show you how that unfolds in Revelation 17. What we're about to see in 18 verses is that our big idea is death and doom is the fate that awaits everybody that's ever opposed King Jesus. Death and doom is ultimately the fate that awaits all those that have opposed King Jesus. Now, here's the good news. People's death, doom, fate is not yet sealed. We're still here. We're still alive. We're still breathing. Now, I believe, again, if I give you my, what, we, what I would call my eschatological views, my views on end times, I think that we could be raptured out of here at any moment. I still firmly believe that before this service ends, we could be raptured out of here. It's not until we're raptured out of here and then the Antichrist signs his peace treaty with Israel and he rises up that the seven-year tribulation will begin. I don't think that we are here for the seven-year tribulation. As we have seen, it's going to be horrible. The seven-year tribulation is supposed to be a taste of what hell on, uh, is going to be like, so it shows hell on earth. Since we're not around for it, we should be living with a sense of urgency telling as many people as we possibly can about the gospel of Jesus so that when we are gone, they have something to remember. Because people will come to Christ during the tribulation. We see that very clearly. In fact, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but it's those very people that come to Christ during the tribulation that will end up entering into the thousand-year reign of Jesus, the millennium. We're going to come back with him from heaven. We get to reign with him, and we get to see what Jesus is going to be doing on the earth when it's a theocracy. Now, the outcome of the Antichrist himself and the false prophet and those that follow him is not good. 
It's all part of our big idea. Death and doom is the fate that awaits all of those that have opposed King Jesus. What we're going to take a look at today is we're going to hone in on the Antichrist, who's called the great, well, and his religious system, which is called the great prostitute. We're going to see what happens to Babylon, this great religious system, and we're going to do that by breaking this down verse by verse or chunk by chunk. Let's start in verse 1, if you'd look there with me. It says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, now remember last week, we dove into the last three of the seven bowls. So this is what we're looking at. We're looking at what? We're looking at one of the angels who had the seven bowls who came and said to John, come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. We're about to see who the great prostitute is. That is uh, the Antichrist's religious system, his idolatrous system. But what about these many waters? What in the world does John mean by that? Remember, when we do good Bible study, we always let Scripture interpret Scripture. So just look at verse 15. The angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. What we are about to do together is to take a look at multiple tactics that Jesus exposes for us in Revelation chapter 17 that Satan will use in order to try to advance his kingdom. So he's got tactics that he's going to use in the future, he's got tactics that he has used in the past, and he's got tactics that he's using right now to try to advance his kingdom and try to thwart God's kingdom. The first is this, Satan is going to wield his bullying authority. Satan is a bully. The phrase, seated on many waters, which gets defined for us in Revelation 17, 15, tells us that all kinds of people multitudes from different languages and nations are going to align themselves with Satan. And it's going to be through the great prostitute, which is his economic system, his religious system. He's going to use that to try to exercise immense influence over as many people as possible. He's already doing it in our own country. I just want to focus on the United States for a minute. The world at at large is a mess but we're in this pocket that we call the United States. What's happening in our own country right now? What is Satan doing with massive amounts of people? He's getting them to worship false gods. He's getting us to believe that the systematic extermination of babies is actually a good thing. He is uh, convincing people to mutilate their bodies in the name of gender reassignment surgeries because that's how they feel. He is exploiting young women that have been trafficked through things like uh, pornography, internet pornography, and there's a host of other unspeakable evils I don't even have time to mention right now. Satan has gotten a foothold. I have mentioned before statistically, but 9% right now of every person polled in the United States of America will claim to be a born-again follower of Jesus. That means you got 91 of every 100 people you come in contact with that do not know Jesus or really want anything to do with him. And because of that, we are told as Christians, you're the minority, so keep your mouth shut. Don't rock the boat. In fact, you're supposed to just be tolerant of anything and everything that everybody believes. I love old school preachers. Y'all remember guys like Jonathan Edwards, uh, guys like Charles Haddon Spurgeon, well, here's another one of my favorites. His name is G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton was preaching and teaching about a hundred years ago. I want you to hear this statement from G.K. Chesterton and imagine if 
he was to have posted this statement that I'm about to make on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. He says, tolerance is the virtue of a man who has no convictions. Think about that for a moment. Tolerance is the virtue of a man who has no convictions. May we be a people of conviction. May we be less concerned with political correctness and more concerned with who Jesus is and what he desires from his followers. Because if I haven't reminded us before, we're only going to stand before one someday. And it's not going to be a president. It's not going to be an emperor. It's not going to be a despot. It's not going to be anybody that's around us. It's going to be the Lord Jesus himself. Prayerfully, we are living our lives in such a way that he will look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now that brings me to our first tool. So we're going to have tactics of Satan, but do we have tools for fighting against the tactics of Satan? And the answer is absolutely yes. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, many of you all know the Great Commission. Jesus has been crucified. He has risen from the dead. He is getting ready to ascend back into heaven. But prior to going, he gathers his disciples together. It says that some worship him, but some doubt. And so he looks at all of them and he goes, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The saints will wield Jesus's bestowed authority. Jesus has bestowed authority upon those that follow him. There's two incredibly important things to note in this passage. One is at the very beginning and the other is at the end. The first is this, all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. Then he gives it to his disciples. And he says, you're not doing anything in your own authority. You're not doing anything in your own power. Therefore, now you can go out and make a difference. Did you know that if I were left to my own vices, if I were in charge of what happened at this church, if I alone were in charge of what happened in my family or in my community, I would have blown it all up by now. Because I'm dumb. <laughs> I make stupid mistakes all the time. I sin, and I still struggle with sin. But I am so thankful that the one that is in control doesn't give up on us. I don't know about y'all, but I am really glad that we serve a God not only of second and third chances, but of 100 and 101 and 102 and 103, and the list goes on. I, I probably don't have to ask for a show of hands on this, but did anybody sin or do anything dumb this week? <laughs> Notice the women are the only ones that aren't prideful enough to raise their hands. So the men just sinned because they're living in their pride. I ain't raising my hand. <laughs> I am so glad that Jesus is with me always even to the end of the age, even when I do dumb things. I am so thankful that he holds all the power and all the authority, all the true power and all the, to the true authority so that when something comes up against me, I don't have to deal with it on my own. It's dealt with in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus working through us. Let me take us to our second tactic of Satan. Let's continue to see how he works in verses two and three. It says, the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. The second tactic of Satan that we see him using in order to advance his kingdom is that he's going to make many 
evil alliances. The fact that the prostitute is in alliance with the kings of the earth speak of the great influence that Satan has, and he's got a lot of it. The angel here isn't describing people who are actually drunk with wine and having sex with a prostitute, although that might be happening. He's talking about those that are intoxicated with satanic agendas, with satanic religions, intoxicated with following the Antichrist. It just feels so good, so they keep going after it. Verse 3 tells us that John gets carried into the wilderness and he sees this great prostitute and we already know who the beast is. We know that the beast is the Antichrist. We've already learned that in Revelation. But now there's an adjective attached to this beast. And what's the adjective? Scarlet. Well, what's scarlet mean in Scripture? Almost always majesty and royalty. So the Antichrist is clothing himself in this false majesty or this false royalty, and he's full of blasphemous names on his head. This is his self-deification. He's deifying himself. He's trying to make himself look like God. He's taking the names and the titles that belong to God and bestowing them upon himself. Tell me we don't see that all the way back at the very beginning of the garden. What was Adam and Eve's temptation? Listen, I know God has given you everything. I know he's given you a perfect relationship with him. He's given you the perfect food to eat. Your bodies aren't getting sick and decaying and dying. You've got the perfect relationship with each other. But there's one thing that he's holding out on. And that is that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be just like God, knowing good from evil. And from that point forward, man has tried to be God. Think about what our kids are taught in schools today. You have no purpose. There is no God In fact, you are the pinnacle of the evolutionary chain. Some scientists are going on to say that they are God. Hey, look, we can clone things. We don't need God anymore. We can take the DNA of this sheep and we can make another sheep. Fantastic, here's the challenge, make your own DNA. You don't get to use what already exists if you really are God. So once again, they're still stuck with a dilemma but yet they're placing themselves in the place of God. Think about false religion today. What do most false religions teach? I've got something to offer God. Therefore, I can work my way to him. It doesn't need to just be Jesus. Or worse, you can become a God. Most religions of the world today teach that you can become a God, that you will either inherit your own planet, you will inherit your own wives for the men you will get absorbed into the universal oneness and become a part of God because you need to recognize that deity is within you and there's that divine spark. And that is all straight from hell. That's all straight from Satan, getting us to believe that we could actually be God and sit in the place of God. He goes on to describe the beast with these seven heads and these ten horns. Most likely, they're the six kingdoms that Satan has ruled through in the past along with the revived Roman Empire coming. Remember, the six previous kingdoms are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome, and then eventually, uh, later on in the future, there's that revived Roman Empire. But he is reigning through massive uh, empires, huge empires. Tell me that does not parallel our world today. Let me speak to that for just a moment. The world's biggest companies... Think of some of the biggest companies in existence right now. Think of the makers of the biggest blockbuster films and entertainment that exist. Think of the largest media moguls that we see out there. Think of most of the world's nations, its presidents, its emperors, its kings, its princes. Most of them are evil. 
and have a satanic agenda. If you think I'm being melodramatic, just take a look at previews for movies that are coming out. Listen to the multi-billion dollar CEOs that are running some of these corporations and tell me if you hear anything about Jesus, his agenda, his kingdom, and his word. In fact, you hear the exact opposite. It's all about narcissism, self-worship. It's all about us and nothing about the Lord Jesus himself. Now, don't get me wrong. There are CEOs that love Jesus. There are people that are working in the media industry and in ed educational uh, system that love Jesus. You just don't hear about them virtually ever. Why? Because Satan has done such a good job of getting a foothold with many of the major biggest industries in the world today. All that to be said, nothing to fear. For followers of Jesus, nothing to fear. Yeah, but we're only nine of every hundred that actually love Jesus. Nothing to fear. Remember, if you are the only one that's following Jesus, you're still in the majority. Some of you caught that. Even if you're the only one following Jesus, you're still in the majority. Do you know why? Because Jesus is bigger than all 8 billion people on the planet. And he's bigger than Satan, he's bigger than the Antichrist, and he's bigger than the false prophet. Listen to these words in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. You can look at it in your Bibles. You can close your eyes if you want to try to just picture being there. But I think it's good for us to try to picture being in this passage. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the words, these are the true words of God. Here's the second tool of the saints. The saints are only going to make one alliance. It's with King Jesus. He's the only one that we're ever going to make an alliance with. In ancient times, one of the most sacred of all ceremonies for the Jewish people was the marriage ceremony. At the end of the ceremony, there would be this huge meal where everybody was invited. And the meal wasn't just about eating some food. It involved in partaking of what we call table fellowship. When you sit down and you have table fellowship with somebody, you're saying, I am completely aligned with this individual or this clan or this family. It was a pact that was made between two nations many times. As Christ followers, we've aligned ourselves with the king, and our king can't lose. Aren't you glad that that's who you're aligned with? We've been brought into union with Jesus. We've been brought into an intimate relationship and fellowship with Jesus. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Jesus's first disciples to take communion with him? they would have known exactly what that meant. Now look, I gotta be honest with you. I've taken communion so many times that I have found myself just going through the motions. But can you imagine being Jesus' first disciples and sitting down for that communion meal and what that told them is that the creator of the universe, the one who made all things and then entered into his creation, is now having table fellowship with them, telling them that I'm in complete alignment with you, that you are now a part of my clan, you're part of my tribe, you're part of my family. Do you know what that means? That means that you no longer have to wonder what your identity is or where your identity is found. It's all found in Jesus. There's no better place. 
Let me move on to the next tactic of Satan because he's not going to give up. In verse 4, it says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Satan is going to try to attract attention to himself through power and wealth. Again, is Revelation relevant to today? You better believe it. The mighty moguls of the world are telling you and I, you better submit because I have all the power and I have all the wealth. And if you want any of it, you better do exactly what I'm telling you to do. Now, prostitutes back in the day would dress to attract attention. They still do so today. And Babylon is called the great prostitute. Her idolatry and immorality is all being fueled by what Satan is doing behind the scenes. But the followers of Jesus are going to do everything they can to take the focus off of themselves, take the focus off the world, and put it all on who it belongs to, which is Jesus. So why not practice now what we're going to be doing for all of eternity? We're going to be worshiping him in heaven for all of eternity. Let me take you back to Revelation 19. We are going to be getting to this passage in about three weeks. But in Revelation 19, 1 through 5, this should sound familiar, but it says, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his just judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. The saints are going to attract attention to Jesus through praise and worship. Did you know that our praise and our worship doesn't end on Sunday morning? In fact, Sunday is technically the first day of the week, and what a great day to worship our Lord and Savior. We're kicking the week off with praise and worship. Prayerfully tomorrow, it's all about praise and worship. And Tuesday, great day for praise and worship. Did you know Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday are all good days too? Those are all great days to bring Jesus worship. So let's put all of the attraction, let's put all of the attention upon Jesus. It is so tempting to want to put it on ourselves. But here's the crazy thing. When this life is over and I end up in heaven, none of the attention is going to be on me. None of the attention is going to be on you. It's not going to be on our kids or our grandkids or our neighbors. It's not going to be on any president. It's not going to be on any emperor or king or prince or princess or queen. It's going to be on one king. His name is Jesus. Verses 5 and 6. Here's where we see Satan still not giving up. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Satan's going to try to grasp the glory that belongs to Jesus. He's been trying to do it ever since he fell from heaven. He wants God's glory. Now, it's interesting that for Roman prostitutes... Back in first century Palestine, it was customary for them to wear a headband that had their name written across the headband so everybody knew who the prostitute was. Here you've got the great prostitute who's controlled by Satan, has a threefold name written on her head. Why a threefold name? 
take away from the glory and the majesty of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We see that the great prostitute is also said to be the mother of all prostitutes. Again, what does that teach us? Every false religion, every false ideology have all been conceived by Satan. He controls the metaphorical Babylon that we've been looking at. And then we notice that the woman is drunk with the blood of the saints, the martyrs of Jesus. Anyone who refuses to follow Satan, anyone who, who refuses to follow his minions, especially during the tribulation, is going to be killed. Now, we may not be facing that today. We're not usually facing death here in the United States, but it is becoming more and more costly to follow Jesus. The more you put yourself out there as a follower of Jesus, the more costly it is becoming. We're going to have like six folks get baptized at the end of service today. We had two that were twins, two twin 17-year-old girls this morning that publicly declared their faith in Christ. When you do that, the attacks will probably come, which is why we pray over those that are going to get baptized this morning. But let me say this, when the attacks come, don't lose hope. Okay, I'm going to pause for a moment. I gave a challenge to first service. I actually mean this. I want us to all take it up. How many of y'all have an Instagram, uh, Facebook, or Twitter account? One of those three. Come on, hands up. How many of you have one? Keep them up. Be proud of that. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Those of you that don't, you're old. Okay, so here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. There's so much stuff that gets posted on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter that is just nasty and wicked and negative. I'm asking every person that is a part of New Covenant Church before tonight ends, before you go to bed, would every single one of you post at least one thing that you love about Jesus and attach a scripture reference to it? Everybody, every single one of us, one thing that you love about Jesus on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and then attach a Bible verse to it. Let's let the world hear about our Jesus. Let's let them know why we're actually excited about our Jesus, which, as you can see, I'm making an assumption. But I'm assuming that most of us sitting in this room love him, and we are excited about who he is, even when the pushback comes our way. Now, listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to get beat down, right? Our bodies are going to get tired, our little hearts and minds are going to get tired. We're going to get sick of the beatdown. But in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 13, Apostle Paul says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal. And that really leads us to our fourth tool. We've seen the fourth tactic of Satan, but what's our fourth tool? Right back to Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! 
Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. The saints give the glory that belongs to Jesus. The saints give the glory that belongs to Jesus. Satan and his minions and those of the world try to steal the glory from Jesus. The saints turn around and just give it right back to him. Now let's take a look at the part of our passage that explains who this great prostitute is. And then we're going to take a look at the extermination of the prostitute before we wrap everything up. Look at verses 7 through 14. It says, But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to go from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Verse 8 told us that the beast is the Antichrist who is referenced by his fake resurrection. He was, and then he is, and then he is not. I believe his resurrection was fake. I don't believe that he has the power to rise himself from the dead. So I think he put on quite a charade, and then people marveled at it. Go on to verses 9 through 11. This can be a tricky part of the passage. And here's why I know it's a tricky part. Look at how John starts this part. This calls for a mind with wisdom. It means we're going to actually have to exercise some brain power. You ready? The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom who have fallen. One is, the other has yet to come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. Okay, what in the world's going on? Well, let's start with the seven mountains. In the Old Testament, we get numerous uh, answers to what these seven mountains are. Psalm chapter 30, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 25. Daniel chapter 2, verse 35. They all refer to reigning or ruling powers. Here they represent seven world powers or seven world empires. Remember, five of them have already fallen when John has written. What are the five that have fallen? It's Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. At the time that John is writing, Rome is still in power. It wasn't until after about 100 AD that they finally fell. And then he talks about a seventh who will rule later. That is the revived Roman Empire. John further explains that the ten kings are ten horns. They're going to align themselves with the Antichrist. I believe these are ten confederations that will align themselves with the Antichrist during the tribulation. So they're not around yet. Or they might be, but the Antichrist hasn't officially stepped up until the church is raptured. Then they will align themselves with him. We already discussed verse 15. It's a very straightforward part of the passage. It tells us that these waters, these many waters, are many nations. So let's wrap up this, this uh, chapter with verses 16 through 18. It says, And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Okay, what in the world just happened here? So the Antichrist comes on the scene. He gathers everybody together with a one-world religion. 
I'm going to just make an educated guess, but it's probably going to be a fairly new agey type of religion. You just believe whatever you want. If you want to worship Buddha as God, go for it. Krishna as God, go for it. If you want to worship one of the hundred million gods underneath Hinduism, go for it. If you want to worship Joseph Smith, go for it. Mary Baker Eddy, go for it. The Pope, go for it. Whoever you want to worship, just go ahead. But just know that we're all going to be tolerant of each other. We're all going to be one big happy family. Until... The Antichrist says, no more. Now you're going to worship me. The Pope is out. Krishna's out. Jesus is out. Everybody's out. You're just going to worship me. And if you don't, I'll kill you. So the Antichrist gets together with the false prophet and anybody else that will join him and begins to exterminate anybody that is part of Babylon. Whoa. God uses a very evil, wicked person who's been influenced by Satan to destroy most of the world. And once again, you see God working through even some of the most evil, wicked people to fulfill his purposes. Gang, as hard as this chapter was, that should actually bring us a ton of hope. Did you know that some of these people that are reigning and ruling right now that think they have it all figured out, God is actually using them for his purposes? I want to give you one example. There's tons throughout history. If you go back through about our 6,000 years of, of mankind's history since creation... There are tons of rulers that God has used in order to fulfill his purposes. Let me just share with you one. There was a very evil man who rose up in the 1930s and into the 1940s. He was around during World War II and he was exterminating millions of Jews. His name was Adolf Hitler. Do you know that God actually used Adolf Hitler and the Nazis to bring his chosen people back into their homeland in May of 1948? It was because of what they experienced that many of them gathered together and so sought to be back in their homeland that God used that. And in May of 1948, they became a people group again. And if you're wondering, so what? What's the big deal about the Jews going back into their homeland? Jesus will not return. He will not rapture us out of here and then return to the earth until his people are back in their homeland. We finally have more Jews in Israel than anywhere else in the world for the first time in a long, long time, which means we are poised and set up for the rapture and the return of Christ. That should get us excited this morning. Jesus could come back at any moment because he has kept every single one of his promises. And by the way, that promise to come to, to bring Israel back to her homeland before he returns, that's just one of hundreds of prophecies that he's fulfilled perfectly. Do we serve a God that keeps his promises? Absolutely. Is that something to be excited about this morning? Absolutely. And in continuing on with that theme of we should be excited about what God is doing, we're about to move into something else that I'm super excited about. We've got about a half dozen folks that are about ready to be baptized this morning. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.